Hello and welcome to Bring On The Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson, and we are celebrating the Kansas State appearance in the Big 12 title game. JT Van Gilder, how are you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. I uh, think we we almost had TCU last time. I think we can do it again. Yeah. Rematch. yeah. Should be fun. And we brought on Melissa Trebosser of Frogs today. Melissa, how are you? I am doing good. You know, I'm excited about TCU playing the Big 12 championship game. I'm excited about being 12-0. and 0. I'm excited about hopefully here sometime in the next couple of hours hearing that Max Duggan is going to get invited to New York City as a Heisman finalist. So uh, it's, it's been a really nice couple of weeks here for Frog fans. Yeah, I bet. And so last time we talked, I, I think, you know, you questioned me when I said that TCU is going to be able to get through the rest of their schedule after K-State, no problem. But And that's kind of how it worked out, right? No stress in those games at all? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you were right, except for the no problem part. That I, I still, like, my heart rate is still elevated. I'm seeking medical care for what happened in Waco. Being down on the field for that field goal, for that bazooka yeah. call, was one of the craziest things I've ever experienced in person. But, yeah, I, I mean, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been particularly enjoyable other than uh, that game against Iowa State. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it's been a heck of a lot of fun. And you're starting to feel a little bit of magic uh, around Funky Town right now and a little bit of magic around this team. Yeah, yeah. And I, the Iowa State game must have been nice to, like, to try something different and yeah. pretty comfortable. But so, yeah, I mean, obviously the, obviously, the two pick sixes helped from the defense. But, you know, what, what did TCU do to kind of unlock that Iowa State defense like nobody else really has this season? Yeah, I, you know, I think the instant thing that comes after a game like that when you're a school like TCU, a school like Kansas State, anybody that's not, you know, a, a nationally respected blue blood like some of these other programs is that they go, oh, well, the motivation. Oh, Iowa State had nothing to play for. And I just, I think that's just such a cop out to do. You know, all we've heard about with Matt Campbell's culture, right? And this is a team that has never mailed it in for a single game. I mean, they hadn't, this is the most points that entire program has given up since 2014 when they lost 55 to three to TCU. Um, and they hadn't given up more than 20 points a game, you know, but three times coming into this season. Uh, this is the most points that a Matt Campbell defense has ever allowed. I mean, there's just a lot of things to say that Iowa State, you know, obviously by the end of the first quarter, maybe they kind of felt like that game was over, but they played their guys. They played their starters. They were going for this one. They wanted to play spoiler and TCU came out with the game plan that they really found some things to exploit. Uh, they put a lot of really interesting wrinkles on film that we hadn't seen. The fourth and two pop pass to Jorcarius Spivey in the first quarter was something that we've been all kind of wanting to see for a really long time. And really, I think that a lot of the credit just goes to the offensive line. I mean, we've been kind of on those guys, especially the last month of the season where they've played some really good defensive fronts and against some really talented players. They held their own and, and dominated the line of scrimmage. And from there, I mean, everything I don't want to say it was easy, but it wasn't difficult. As difficult, at least, as we thought it would be when we looked at the schedule and saw that Iowa State number six defense in the country to finish things off. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it looked pretty easy. but <laughs> <laughs> It felt a heck of a lot easier than the previous couple of games, I'll say that much. Yeah, Qu- quick Iowa State side note. Can we all agree that with the Cincinnati coaching search, the well, the funniest result would be if they hired Deion Sanders for some reason, but the second funniest would be if they hired Matt Campbell away from Iowa State, right? If Matt Campbell left Iowa State for Cincinnati, I think the entire state of Iowa might melt down. Like, it would be <laughs> devastating. Absolutely devastating. And I, I don't see that happening, but yeah. it would be very, very hilarious. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think a, a big question for this weekend, because uh, I haven't heard much about him, but Quentin Johnston hasn't played the last two games, right? So what's his status? 
So he did play against Baylor. He, okay. He'd been dealing with an ankle injury on one ankle. And then on Max Duggan's uh, interception in the third quarter, early in the third, he exited the game with an ankle injury to the other ankle and did not return. Hmm. Uh, he was available Saturday. I think the hope was that they wouldn't need him. And I, I guess they must have known that they felt pretty good about that offensive game plan because he was dressed, ready to go, but he never made an appearance on the field. Best possible result for TCU is that Quentin Johnson didn't have to play. Darius Davis got limited snaps and did not return punts. Uh, Tay Barber, we we were looking. I don't think he played at all. Um, there was nothing about him in the injury report. I think it was kind of a rest day. That dude's like 26 or something. He's been around so long. Um, and Amari DeMarcado did not need to get a ton of reps too. So that game really yeah. played out exactly how TCU needed it too from a health standpoint. I mean, this is now, that would be nine straight games. This will be 10 straight Big 12 games that TCU has played without a bye week. Um, and so the bumps and bruises are really starting to impact. So this team is banged up. Johnny Hodges exited the game, but came back in. Abe Kamara exited the game. We did not see him back out in the second half. The, a lot of these guys, like like every football player in December, right? They're taping things up. They're doing what they have to do to get on the field, but nobody feels really good about their body. And so being able to sit down Max Duggan and sit down most of your starters for that second half gave TCU like a half a bye week, which is what they desperately needed after yeah. the stretch they've been on. Yeah. So if you had to guess, then what do you think Quentin Johnson's said? Like how healthy will he be? Uh, I think he, he will be as healthy as he is physically capable of being at this point in the season. Um, he's still definitely not 100%. I don't anticipate him being hampered. Um, I don't think his snap count will be limited as long as, you know, knock on wood, nothing else happens to him. I, I think he's good to go, and I think he could have played. You know, I'd, I'd probably put him at, like, you know, 90%, but 90% mm -hmm. of QJ is still pretty dang good. So, yeah, um, I, I think I think he'll be I think he'll be healthy enough to be a factor. I'll put it that way. Yeah, okay. So, JT, how do you like Julius Brands against Quentin Johnson and man? Well, I'd like to see him healthy against yeah. him because that was that was something that K State faced in the the first matchup with TCU was had multiple like what's that, that was right at a weird point of the season where it had a whole bunch of injuries all at the same time and lost several players during that game and Julius Prince was one of them, right. uh, especially for the second half he he couldn't play. Uh, there was one of the big touchdown receptions that he got beat and it was essentially because he literally could not run like he shouldn't have been on the field he couldn't run. And he was out there anyways, trying to tough it out and just got beat hard. And so now he's, he's, he's in a lot better health now. And I, really, I feel like, I mean, aside from a couple of the key like freak injuries that we've had with Kobe Savage and sincere Mason on the back end, like this team's actually in a pretty good spot, you know, health wise, knock on wood and doing all right. Like it was well, said, it's a tough season. It, 12 games are always tough. And mm -hmm. we get to this point of the year and, and usually, it's like, you know, half the team's on the injury report for some reason or another. And I feel like luckily this team's done pretty well. I mean, they're they're definitely banged up, but overall, especially the top end of the depth chart are we're doing pretty well. Yeah. And Big 12 teams don't get to play an FCS team in November like the SEC teams do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're just beating the snot out of each other. Yeah, yeah, they don't get to play an FCS team or AM. So they really. I guess I shouldn't say that they just beat LSU. Thank you for that, by the way. Aggies. I can't yeah. owe you anything, but I appreciate you getting LSU out of the playoff picture. They had no business being there, period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll talk more about the playoffs picture later. Um, so or you mentioned the, the running backs. And so Imani Bailey got, I think, like 11 carries last week, which is about nine or 10 more than he gotten in any other game. Is that just because of the scoreline and when the check the other guys? 
You know, I think Imani Bailey is a guy that, that coming out of speed, he's a, he's a transfer from ULM. He is a kid with a ton of speed. He's a really tough runner. Um, he's a good player. He's the, he was their leading rusher um, in his one season there. So um, this is a kid that can really play. He was far and away the most impressive back in spring ball and the most impressive back coming out of fall camp. And a guy that I think a lot of TCU fans and, and media that cover the team thought would have more of an impact. Kendra Miller has just been Kendra Miller. And yeah. I think the biggest surprise has been how good Amari DeMarcado is. That's another guy that this is his, like, he's like 38, which is amazing. It's what he's doing. He's been in college football. I, I mean, there, there are kids that are applying to TCU that weren't born when he took his first nap. So he's I the Perriellis of college football is what yes, you're saying. Yes, he's the Perriellis. It's a great, yeah. But, you know, I think that he has been so impressive. He's a great pass blocker. You know, he's a great third down back. But he's really run the ball well. And so I think kind of at just because of how exceptional he's been, there just hasn't been a lot of touches for Imani Bailey. And the other thing that's happened is Trent Battle has lined up in the backfield more and more the last couple of weeks. Kid was a, a QB in high school. He signed with TCU. They gave him a shot at quarterback. I don't think anyone ever thought he would really ever play that position. And now he's kind of in this weird hybrid kind of running back wide receiver role. So he's kind of taken some of those snaps as well. But what Bailey showed us on Saturday is kind of what we think he can be. I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever to see him get a few more snaps against Kansas State on Saturday. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be a game breaker, but he had a huge run against Kansas, scored a touchdown in that game. He looked really great against a, a very good defense on Saturday against Iowa State. I don't think he's going to get 10 or 12 carries, but I wouldn't be mm -hmm. surprised to see him get four or five touches in, in critical moments in that game because he just he's, it brings an element that TCU doesn't have in the rest of that running back core and he can really do some things with the football yeah yeah and JT speaking of you know garbage time running backs who we don't get as many carries as they deserve behind all conference running backs I mean how much fun was it to see DJ Giddens running over KU defenders at the end of that game Saturday well you know it it's great seeing a kid from Kansas have that kind of impact and and we saw it Oh, a couple of years ago. Oh crap, his name escapes me now. The kid from Lewisburg. Same like he blew up oh, yeah, against yeah. KU yeah. and and had a great game. But Giddens has been quietly that I mean the Thunderback to Deuce's Lightning and just like a seven yard per carry machine. And so it was nice again, you know, take some carries off Deuce at the end of the game, let him take a quarter off. And there's really no step back down to DJ. I mean he, he can do all the things essentially that Deuce can do in the blocking game now and in the passing game, he's just bigger and stronger. He's not as elusive, but he doesn't need to be. He's just going to run over somebody. So I wish they would have – there were times I wish they had used him more this year, but it's nice seeing how bright that future is at the running back position. Yeah. Was it Keon Mosey? Is that the guy you were thinking of? Or no, Ducardi, no. You're right. Um, Ducardi, you're right. Was that it? Uh, Harry Trotter. Harry Trotter. No, he was a starting back. I mean, Well, he was he was sort of a starting back. He was only okay, starting back because they were desperate. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I mean, I hope that the, the Kansas State, you know, coordinator, I'm sure they'll be looking back at, at what Kansas State did early in the game to slow down TCU, but, but also, you know, I hope they're looking at what Texas did to slow down TCU. You know, what was the key to the Longhorn success? Obviously, they had a pretty effective pass rush getting five sacks. Yeah, I mean, their pass rush was, was unbelievable. And I think the thing that Texas does really well is they're very creative in the front. They they ran a lot of like twists and stunts and stuff that they hadn't really put on film that TCU just took a while to adjust to. Um, and then they're so deep. I mean, they have six potentially NFL caliber guys on that defensive front. 
And it, I mean, you, you guys saw them too. Like they're monsters up there. They're monsters. And so the TCU offensive line really struggled in that game. A lot of that was due to what Texas was doing. Um, I thought that the adjustments that the TCU offense made in the second half were really effective. They, you know, they brought in some extra help with the tight end. They changed the way that they, and, and I'm not the person to explain this. This is where I would totally defer to Parker Fleming, but <laughs> it just in listening to him, what they understood is that the way that they were lining up, the things that they were doing, they stopped pulling, they went a little bit more simple in their run game. And that really helped. And so I think what I've really loved about watching this TCU football team from a coaching perspective is just the way that they're willing to adapt and adjust, not just from, you know, after halftime, I think everyone knows at this point that TCU is a totally different team the second half, but from week to week as well. And when they, when they see something like they were really terrified of Tyree Wilson and Texas Tech. You know what? I'm terrified of Tyree Wilson. Seems like a really nice kid off the field, but terrifying on it. And so they they changed up their protection, you know, for Texas because they knew that Texas had like three of those guys. And then they saw how that was working and, and they knew that Dave Aranda was going to be able to throw some things. And so they changed, they adapted and adjusted a little bit, you know, against Baylor. And then, you know, Iowa State, for as good as their defense is, and it's, it's you know, it's a top 10 unit for a reason. Uh, they don't really sack the quarterback a whole lot um, outside of Will McDonald, who's an absolute freak. But they still they had a plan in place to do that as well. What we saw yesterday when they didn't have to put an extra guy in against that defensive front, the tight ends got super involved in the passing game, and that completely changed the look of TCU. And I think that's why they were so effective, even without Quentin Johnston. And so the Kansas State defensive front is arguably the best in the conference and, and one of the elite units in the, the country as well. And so you're going to have to make adaptations and adjustments there too probably going to mean you're going to get less of the tight ends in the passing game you're going to get more of them chipping and, and helping out but I'm going to hope that what we saw from the offensive front that that line on Saturday is a sign of good things to come I mean that was far and away the best they played all season and you know I think uh, continuity is a big part of that I think they are all learning a new offensive system defensive system too we've seen how much better that defense has played the last couple of weeks and so I think it's a combination of these guys have played a ton of snaps together they're very very comfortable with each other they're very very comfortable with the offense and the game plan um so they're playing at a high level but then of course I think that you don't get the pass rush from Iowa State obviously that you do from Kansas State and so it's going to be a huge challenge to keep Max Duggan upright or at the very least make sure that the sacks don't come at the worst possible time and that is one thing TCU's allowed a ton of sacks I think Max has been pressured the third most of any quarterback in the conference. I saw that on, on social earlier today, but it's, it's giving him time and opportunities when TCU really needs to score. And then when those sacks come hoping they're not at time, it's really going to offset the momentum of the, of the team or put them really behind the chain early in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So JT, I mean, K-State's pass rush has been pretty strong. You think that's kind of the best chance for this defense to, to really slow down the horn drops? Yeah. I mean, it, they struggled at times in, in pass rush against even KU. So I, I don't know the, the pass rush hasn't seemed quite as effective in the last few games as it did early on. I think teams have adjusted a little bit to the, to the three man front. Uh, I also think they've bit maybe a little less time bringing that, like the fourth man on the, on the rush, like Khalid Duke coming around yeah. as, as a, you know, like a fourth rusher. And so teams have been able to get more of those chunk passing yards because they're not getting as much pressure on the quarterback. So if they can generate pass rush like they were early on in the year, then yeah, it's that's, I mean, if you can get to the quarterback before he can throw the ball, then you're doing something right on defense. But they're just going to have to play the, the team game that's been effective the last few weeks here. They're going to take some some lumps there in the, in the first half. The key is to not let it get, not let, TCU to get too far ahead or to give them too many breaks there in the in the first half. 
so that they can make adjustments in the second half. That's been the key for K-State really all year, but especially here lately is those second half adjustments. Uh, yeah. They did it against Texas. They did it against West Virginia, against KU. I mean, that's where they've been making their money. So I, I'm not so much worried about the pass rush, even though, you know, it, it would be great to have it back, but I just got to keep playing their game and playing team defense. Yeah. And of course, the biggest thing from looking back at the first game would be to, to get a full game of Daniel Green into his prints. That would that would be fantastic. Lot. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break here from sponsors. And we're back. So then, I mean, TCU's defense up until this Iowa State game, it, it was almost like they sort of made a habit of, of doing just enough, but they, they could always come up with the big stops. You know, how were how they able to kind of get that done? You know, I, I think that, A, and no offense to my friends that cheer for the Cyclones, but that is far and away the worst offense that TCU has seen in Colorado. <laughs> sure. No, it um, is. It's, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Terrible Hunter, offense. Hunter, Hunter Deckers, God bless his soul, um, is not good. But then it also, like, he's playing in a system that's not, like, I and I, I know I'm going to hear it, and I know I'm going to hear it from you guys because, you know, we got the quarterback injured in that game too. Although Adrian Martinez came in injured, I'll stand by that. But, but. When you're running like off tackle with your quarterback, who's a like what is a redshirt freshman, like 15 times a game, like what are you doing, Matt Campbell? Like what do you do? You hate Hunter? Do you want him to transfer? Are you trying to get him to want to leave the pro? And maybe he is because Hunter Decker is not great. But my God, like they are putting this kid in such a position to fail. It is game 12 of the season. You have four wins coming into or five, whatever it is, four wins coming into that game. Why are you going to get the snot beat out of your young quarterback and completely and totally destroy his confidence before an offseason quarterback battle? I mean, it's just a yeah. terrible, terrible thing to do to a young kid. Seems like a really nice kid. I think he'll be an absolute blast to watch at like Rice or something next year, Tulane. Like, <laughs> he's got, he can play. Like the kid can play. He just can't play there in that system right now. Yeah. It doesn't it, help either that, that they have one, one wide receiver, just singular, one guy that can line up and catch a ball. So. It reminds me a lot of what happened to Will Howard his first couple of years at K-State, yeah. like like running a system that is not conducive to that kid's talents. And Hunter Deckers and Will Howard are the same age. They were in the same recruiting class. Yeah. And they play a very similar game. But if your offense is predicated on having a mobile quarterback and running the, them a lot and read options, those are not guys that are read option quarterbacks. Will Howard's not a read option quarterback. He can run if he has to. You're not a read option quarterback. And Hunter yeah. Deckers is the same way. That poor kid. Uh, like you say, yeah. they're going to run him into the ground. And well, well, yeah, listen, I hope he doesn't go to Tulane, though, because K-State does have to play them again in two years. Yeah. I don't want to see yeah. a senior Hunter Deckers. So. Yeah, but, but I mean, I, I think it's it's a good argument, again, for, you know, for, for Max Duggan. I mean, he was the same thing. He was a square peg in a round hole his thir- first three years on campus. And then you bring in a, an offensive system that exploits his skills and talents and says, hey, we see what you can. And, and mind, mind you, they didn't know he was going to be the starter until week two. But yeah, when you have when you have a, a coaching staff that wants to put your players in positions to be successful, as opposed to once they stroke their ego by running the things that they think are most effective, it, it's amazing what a difference that that can make. So yeah, so I think I think obviously like Iowa State's offense is so terrible, and so that helped the TCU defense too. But that group, when you've got a bunch of guys. TC returned 82% of their production on both offense and defense. And, you know, that can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Right. But when 82% of those guys are used to playing in the same system, and then you bring in three additional starters <laughs> who, who came from different programs, it's their first year in Fort Worth. It's going to take some time 
to completely change your mindset because not only is is the three three five a different alignment, it's a completely different mentality than the four two five. And so I think that it has taken quite a while for this team to really, you know, adjust the terminology and and to adjust, like to be able to play instinctually within that system. And over the last several weeks now, Baylor, give Baylor a ton of credit for what they did those first couple of drives. Like that scripted drive that Baylor ran to open that game in Waco was one of the most picture perfect drives I've seen all season until TCU's opening drive against Iowa State, which I thought was like, we were talking like, we want to take that drive out to dinner. We want to get responsibly drunk and we want to take that drive out to dinner and we want to pay for it. And we just want to stare longingly into its eyes for an hour over, you know, some really like a steak dinner or something. It was beautiful. But I think that what we're seeing is this team is playing a lot more instinctual. They're playing a lot faster. They're trusting each other. Dylan Horton has come not out of nowhere. He's been here forever, but he, it's finally clicking for him as a pass rusher. And so they're putting a lot more pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And that obviously changes everything. Uh, Josh Newton has been outstanding at one cornerback spot. Travis Hodges Tomlinson, they continue to pick on him. They t- continue to go after the 5'8 kid on the other side, and he continues to make play after play. Um, and then the linebacking unit, which is which is probably still the weakest part of that team just because it is the most banged up. But Shad Banks has come in, and he's making impact plays. Johnny Hodges is being held together with duct tape and pipe cleaners at this point, but that kid has, <laughs> like, we, like we kind of jokingly call him Captain America. Like, he, he's just, like, the dude is just tough as nails and a great leader, and you know, I think the safeties are healthy now, too, which is a big part of that. Bug Clark is playing great. Miller Bradford back. Um, hopefully, Abe Morrow will be healthy, but, but he's a big difference maker. I think we're just seeing guys start to get comfortable in the system, and they really got to exploit that against an offense that, I mean, I, I, don't, I think we could put, pick 11 guys, you know, 11 people out of the stands, and, and they'd probably be able to, to get a stop or two over the course of 60 minutes. So Yeah, that's fair. So let, let's talk, though, about the most impressive thing TCU's defense did this season. And that was holding Bijan Robinson to 29 yards. And he ran for 100 plus against every other Big 12 team. But that was probably the worst game of maybe of his career against TCU. So, you know, what did they do? And is that, you know, is that something they could use to shut down Deuce Vaughn too? Or do you see that as as a different game plan? Yeah, I mean, I was terrified of Bijan going into that game just because, you know, it's the same thing I feel like about facing Deuce Vaughn again this weekend. It's, these are elite electric players who can make you look really, really stupid with one cut, you know, with one little, one little move. Um, and then they have speed to run away from you and they have the fearlessness to run through you. And so, um, like I mentioned, the TC linebacking unit has, has been a, a little bit maligned, but what we saw against Texas and what we've seen the last couple of weeks since is, you know, D winners is an all conference level linebacker. He's a great player. And then Chad Banks brings a level of athleticism. I mean, Chad Banks is returning kicks for TCU right now. When Darius Davis got hurt, Shad Banks at 260 pounds went back to return picks. And and you know what? He's good. Like, he's fine. Like, it's not a bad thing. I don't like it. I still terrify him. (laughs) But he can make some things. I mean, he can do a standing backflip. Just, I mean, he's he's in a, just a freaky, freaky athlete. And so what I really liked is, is D. Winter sat the first half of that Texas game. And so Shad got the start. And because of his speed and athleticism, and he's just a human hit stick, I think that, that he was really able to wait on the play to develop, let the ball come to him, and then attack. And, and they were really able to just corral Bijan as good as, as humanly possible, I think, at that position. And I think just kind of keep him from breaking off the big runs. And it's going to be swarming the ball. It's going to be tackling I think TC did a really nice job tackling on Saturday night, even with the kind of the wet, kind of grimy conditions that, that was on the field. Um, and so that's going to be the same thing on Saturday is, is you're not going to, I doubt that TC is going to hold Deuce Vaughn to 29 yards. I don't see that being a possibility. I, I think he's still going to have a really good game, but the difference is, is can you keep him from breaking off? 
you know, that 45 yard run on third and four? Mm -hmm. Can you keep him from getting into the end zone two or three times? Can you force him to have to stay in and pass block maybe a little bit more than he would like? Like, can you keep him from that wheel route? Like Deuce Vaughn is going to, is going to run a 29 yard, get a 29 yard gain on a wheel route. It's going to happen, but can you keep it from happening at a time where it's really going to hurt you um, long-term and, and, He's played so well against TCU historically. I, he, I don't remember his his numbers from the la- the first matchup, but he played. You know, I, he was terrifying, um, and a huge reason that Kansas State got out to that big lead. And so, can you contain him enough to not let him be the game breaker that puts you on your heels defensively? That's really the goal for TCU. And Joe Gillespie has been up to some big challenges. He's done an exceptional job. I'm shocked that he's not on the the Broyles finalist award. I get Riley is, and he deserves it too. But I, both of those guys have been so good on their respective sides of the ball that now I'm starting to get really, really nervous about how long TC is going to get to keep them because I think they're both going to be candidates for head coaching jobs. If not, if not this year, then next year. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, also you got to stop that dude's fun from going to 80 yards on a screen pass on third yeah. and 12. Yeah. Right, JT? Yeah. <laughs> That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was for you guys. We were, we were watching it. We're just going, oh, God. Not, not this. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, JT, at the same time, would you like to see, you know, the continued variance in, in the case they're running to tech? How much of that you want to see DJ Gibbons and only that? But I don't know if anyone stopped Malik Knowles on the end around yet this season. Yeah, that's a, the kind of play you use. I mean, I was surprised they broke it out twice against KU. It was like, like here hmm. you've been holding this, like, special play in your bag. And, you know, for using it for te- against teams like TCU, where you, you might need that trick play to – to break things open or something, but they used it twice against KU. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the second time the, though, they did it with the fake to do, and he wasn't the lead blocker, right? Like the first right. time, I think he was the lead blocker. So, but it, yeah. it was almost a, an FU to KU, like, ah, we're gonna just <laughs> run this insanely impossible play to stop twice just because we feel like it. So good luck. Yeah. Well, that was but, that was TCU running a um, giant FU uh, two point conversion at the end of the half because they took two touchdowns off the board and had like three reviews and, and Matt Campbell called three timeouts and so they're like let's put something <laughs> really interesting on film for Kansas State and have Sam Jackson run the most impossible two point conversion play in history and then we're also going to get an illegal procedure penalty just to make sure that it looks really really messed up for the Wildcats next week. <laughs> but I loved it because I was like oh. Like Gary Patterson took a knee up 55 to three in 2014 inside the 15 yard line against Iowa state, because it was like, we've done enough. And clearly PCU did not end up having done enough at that point. Sonny Dykes was like, we're up like 30 something points. Yeah. Let's go for a two point conversion. Cause the chart says that's what you do. Like it's, it's such a hilarious difference in philosophies all across the board. <laughs> yeah. Well, Let's talk about playoff scenarios. So I, I said it on Twitter, but I'll go on record here too. My ideal scenario is Kansas State wins this game, obviously. And I don't know if I want to put on a limit on how much I'd want Kansas State to win by because I'm not going to do that. But I, I want TCU to still make the playoff. So what needs to happen for that to happen in your mind, Melissa? So going into Saturday, I would have told you 0% possibility. Just absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And then all of the chaos in the top 10 – I now think if like, God, I don't even want to speak these things into existence. <laughs> if, I don't, if TCU were to, you know, not win, we'll say that. <laughs> and, and and were to be in a, like, God, I don't even want to talk this into existence, but like, let's say something similar to last year's big call championship game. 
right? Like, and again, I'm not going to say any of these words out loud because I don't want to put into the atmosphere. <laughs> I don't want to accidentally manifest something that I don't want to happen. So you're just going to hopefully be a scholar of Big 12 football history to know these things. Um, <laughs> Or at least I've paid rough attention a year ago. Uh, but if something similar were to happen, you know, around the one inch line, then I think that there's still a scenario if everything else goes according to plan. So if, if mm-hmm. Georgia beats LSU, which I, I don't think is a question, um, if Michigan mm-hmm. beats Purdue, which I, I think will fully happen, and then if USC wins the Pac-12 championship, which now I guess is over Utah. So yeah. avenging that earlier loss. I think that if you compare blind resumes between TCU and Ohio State, Theoretically, TCU's resume is better, but I swear to God, if this comes down to TCU and Ohio State again, and TCU doesn't get in, <laughs> I, you like, I, like you're gonna see the entire city of Fort Worth just fall off the map. Like it's there, a black hole is gonna open. All the screaming, the gnashing, the rending of garments. <laughs> like everybody in the TCU purple, not Kansas State purple, they'll be celebrating. But everyone else is just gonna fall into the pits of the earth. And honestly, I would welcome death at that point. Like just yeah. suck me in. There's a there's a volcano erupting in Hawaii. Just drop me over it. Like Joe versus yeah. the volcano. Me, yeah. it's fine. I cannot do this again. I, I physically, emotionally, mentally, I cannot survive this again. So yeah. um, and the only yeah, way it could be worse is if that all happens, and then Auburn hires Sunny Dykes, right? Uh, Auburn is hiring Hugh Freeze. So okay. they with the devil and um, they want to sleep with the devil. Good for them. Um, also, <laughs> Sunny Dykes learned a lot from going to Cal. And yeah. I would never, I would not expect him to go to a place that has the vibes of an Auburn now. I'm not going to say he's never going to leave, but I, I don't mm-hmm. think the Auburn AD said he'd like Sonny Dykes. I don't think the feeling was mutual. I think he yeah. got left on okay. red. Sonny, Sonny is very, very happy to be coaching power five football in the state of Texas with the resources that he has available yeah. to him at TCU. I think there's probably only a handful of jobs that would intrigue him. And I don't think he wants to deal with the BS in college station or Austin. So I'm not going to, I'm not naive enough to say he's a lifer at TCU. I don't want to sound like an Iowa state fan, but I do think that I don't think he's dumb enough to go to a place like Auburn or try to win in the sec right now yeah. until Nick Saban, you know, the sec West opens up a little bit when Nick Saban eventually retires. So Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, some good news for TCU is there is some precedent for a team losing in the Big 12 championship and getting to play in the national championship anyway. And, you know, that was before they were even four teams, and that was by, lost by four touchdowns. So, this is, yeah. So, yeah. I, I think, you know, they, they, when, when they convinced us to add this stupid 13th data point, which, you know, back in 2014, yeah. I would have killed for this year. I absolutely hate because I'm, a, you know, a hypocrite and I'm fine with that. It, it's it's not like Saban, right? Yeah, right. So it's not supposed to hurt you. And that's the one, actually, it shouldn't be Ohio State. It's Alabama that I should be worried about, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, like Kansas State is is a is a ranked program, is now what? They seek back into the top 10 or are they top, top 15 still? Top 10 uh, coaches. Yeah. So they're going to be, and, and in the playoff rankings, I'm going to guess you're going to be somewhere between that, like, 8 and 12 range, right? So if you lose by a single score, yeah. yeah, should be, should be. But who? I don't trust that committee for anything. So, you know, if you lose to a top 10 team in a championship game by a close margin, something fluky happens, whatever, it should not take away from a 12 and 0 season. I just, I think that what TCU has done, nobody else has done this. Nobody has gone undefeated in the Big 12, undefeated. Like, I think Texas was lasting to go undefeated in a season that included a Big 12 season, and, and Oklahoma was last one um, after a one and two start to go undefeated in a conference season, playing nine conference games against 
nine opponents winning games against five ranked opponents. They're going to have to do it, you know, do a six one there. They had the smallest chance of going, like, I think it was something like 2% of teams would be able to go undefeated against TCU schedule. It, it has been truly a magical season and and the way that they've won games they've shown they can win games defensively they've shown they can win games offensively they've shown they can come back in the second half they've they've shown that they can do it with special teams I mean mean, this team has been such an absolute joy to watch and follow these kids are are just are great kids Sonny Dykes' coaching staff are just such likable people the social media team is completely unhinged you know it's just there's just a lot of of great things about this and so I, I hate like the catharsis of finishing 12 and 0, like that Saturday, go walking on the field and watching those players celebrate with the fans and the coaching staff and, and everybody was really, really great. And then immediately you go, Oh my God, we've got to do this again. And it just seems so unfair, but also like what an amazing opportunity um, just to play another really, really good team. And I don't think there's a fan. I, I think, Nine fan bases in the Big 12 are at least tangentially rooting for TCU. And the one that wants us to die is Kansas State. So like <laughs> nobody is angrier about the, the result of their game than the Kansas State fan base. Um, they've been coming after us all season. Uh, they started, started up the Twitter trolling again this evening. Um, so like you guys, you guys always seem like such nice people. And then uh, it's been so long since we'd beaten Kansas State that we'd forgotten. I mean, it's been like yeah. three or four years, right? So yeah, having to do that twice, yeah. uh, it, it's going to be an incredible challenge. But again, this is, it's always been about opportunity for this team. And every week it's been about an opportunity for the next. And, and to be like, I might get emotional just talking about it. I've, I mean, I, when I was a freshman, we were one in 10. Mm-hmm. And to know that I'm going to be on the field at AT&T Stadium on Saturday, watching the team that I have loved for 25 years have a chance to compete in the college football playoffs, man, it, it's just like, I just want to see it happen so badly now. I For all season long, I was like, man, like this has been so special, like nine wins, eight wins, 10 wins, whatever, like amazing. Now I'm like, no, like this is it, man. Like I, I want this in a way that I've never... I, I've had my heart broken by sports a lot. I've never yeah. wanted anything so badly as I want to see TCU get to compete on that national stage a little bit later, you know, this, or I guess next year, 2023. Yeah. yeah. Well, your happiness will be a small constellation if Kansas State can't pull it outside. <laughs> very small. Very small. Sure. The other the other just... constellation, of course, is that Kansas State gets to play in the Sugar Bowl either way, which is nice. Yes, I was, I was pleasantly be. surprised to read the Sugar Bowl release stating that they're not given a choice to pick Texas over Kansas State. They they are Excellent. picking Kansas State. No, so. and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Yeah. Kansas State's a better football team than Texas. I know the results on the field might say otherwise, but today, right, right. now, the way the Wildcats yeah. are playing, um, I think they would be an awesome representative. I hope they're the representative in the New York Six Bowl. I really do. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, wait, 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 wait. I think I do. I take that back because I don't want them to if they beat. Well, K State, no, the K State isn't yeah. the Sugar Bowl either way. Unless yeah. some sort of really super weird thing happens and yeah. they get in the playoff, but I don't think yeah, we're, not, we're not even going to talk about that because yeah, we want to talk about that. It's not, it's not real. But, Sorry, JT, yeah. I cut you off, but I appreciate yeah. That's right. I was just going to bag on the Sugar Bowl for being idiots in 2016, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still doing your thing where you predict TCU to lose every game? Uh, no, so I, I stopped that against, um, I think it was West Virginia. I finally was okay. like, no, we're not, we're not losing that game. So I don't have to do that anymore. Thankfully, I, I still kind of vacillated. Yeah. So I, I guess, I guess you're segueing me into wanting a prediction here, right? Yeah. If you're here for it. Yeah, I am. I like, I can like this, the vomit now started to rise in my throat. Um, I've gone from almost crying to wanting to vomit so quickly. Um, yeah, I think 
you know, you know, I, uh, I hate this. I hate this game. I hate having to play you guys again. Um, I, I hate Deuce Vaughn, like lining up against him. Will Howard has been electric. Malik Knowles looks like the guy that we all have been thinking that he was for so long. Right. Like I think him and Will Howard have a great connection. Um, and, and I'm glad that we'll pre- be preparing for the quarterback that we're going to play this time. I, I'm hoping that that helps. I just, I think that this team has stayed so hungry and so with such a huge chip on their shoulder. And I'd really like to thank Paul Feinbaum and Stephen A. Smith for considering <laughs> to, to have to have a 12 and 0 team. That's going to be ranked number three Tuesday uh, night, feel underrated and undervalued and, and like uh, they are being respected. Like who would have thought so this is a perfect scenario for Sonny Dykes. But I, I think that, that the way that TCU played Saturday gives me a little bit more confidence and faith than I've had um, the last couple of weeks. And so I think it's going to be a close one. I think it's going to be a one score game. I'm going to go 31, 28 TCU. And I, I think, you know, the, the thing that gives me the most hope of anything right now is that, um, man, we got a kicker and like that feels pretty damn good. Yeah. So uh, I, I think if it comes down to needing a big kick, I have a ton of confidence in Griffin Kell, earned confidence. And and so I'm I'm hoping that I don't get th- so stressed out, but I have a feeling it's going to be another one of those super, super stressful days and nobody's going to have any fun until the final whistle sounds. <laughs> and but before we go over JT, I have one other prediction I, I just wonder if you can make. And I know it's going to be tough to tell because everyone's going to be wearing purple, but what do you think the split is going to be? Among the fans. Uh, I, go ahead, JT. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, this is I've been dealing with this on Twitter tonight. So, yeah, <laughs> I want to I hear from you guys first. Okay. JT, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think it's it's probably going to be 60-40 just because it's essentially a home game for TCU. I mean, when I went to the, the Cotton Bowl in 2011, we stayed at a hotel in Fort Worth. Like, it's, it's, it's right there. I mean. Come on. But uh, the K-State students sold out their allotment within hours. Like, I mean, that massive line, K-State bought another 500 tickets and sold those immediately back out to students. Like, I mean, they're, the students are going to be there. The band's going to be there. From what I've seen, like K-State fans are going to be there. Like it's going to be a thing and always travel well to, there's a, you know, big alumni base in Dallas in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So uh, I don't think it's going to be, a big crowd in TCU's favor, but it's, I still think just the, the sheer proximity to the TCU home is going to help out here. But I mean, even AMG Carter stadium only holds what 45,000. Does it hold 50 now? I think it's um, like 40, 48 or 50. Yeah. So, I mean, even, you know, if you, if you drop, all of both teams stadium capacity into AT&T, you've still got 10,000 extra seats. So <laughs> yeah, I, it, it should be pretty close, pretty close to even. The only thing that I'll, I'll say, the only caveat where I think it might be slightly like 65, 35 is that TCU has known they're playing in this game for almost a month. Sure. And so Very I think true. that anybody that has been coming from out of town or, um, you know, that they've had, there's more, been on more opportunity to buy tickets. Tickets were due on like the 21st, like TCU tickets. So I think that that definitely plays into TCU's advantage, that and the proximity, like you said. But I, I do think obviously Kansas State fans travel well and, and there'll be quite a few of them. And it's going to be hilarious just to see that entire stadium full of purple. Like it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. JT, you want to make a prediction on the game real quick? <laughs> no, this one scares me, but uh, I, I think we can, you know, I, I said, like, let's say it's going to be close. Like it's going to be a, a 31, 28, 
uh, flip a coin who's who's got the the upper upper hand. I, you know, I always want K State to win, and I would love it if there was a way that K State won, and both K State and TCU could make the college football playoff. That would just be you know an awesome world we would all be living in. But it, unfortunately, we don't live in that world. So if TCU, you know survives you know i'll be happy to cheer for them in the college football playoff that they're you know that there's there's <laughs> nothing wrong there there's no bad blood there so it's you know it's fine and i'll i'll happily enjoy our sugar bowl birth but i'd very much love for k-state to win another big 12 title here this year so i think cats can do it but it's going to be a very uh, heartburn inducing game forever yeah yeah so 11 o'clock Saturday on ABC. Unfortunately, going up against a World Cup round of sixteen match. That's that's kind of a bummer. Playing that early in the morning. It, but. Is it? Is it? <laughs> for, for, pe- for people like for the sickos that are watching TCU Kansas State, like I mean, come on, like I don't I don't think that crowd like that crowd probably isn't too much of a crossover. Maybe maybe is that, is, that a, is that a USA a TV USA game? It, um, if, if I don't think it? so. No, okay, I don't think, I think it will be. I think we'll be all right. So, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. I don't think there's yeah. too many people in the rest of the world that are going to be paying attention to the Big 12 championship. But hey, it could be wrong. That's fair. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I, I think that's probably enough for this podcast. Uh, Melissa, I always appreciate you coming on. And people can check out your stuff on the Coach Melissa Proxy.com. Any special content for the game you got this week? Yeah, we're we're super pumped. We've got lots of great stuff on the site, the shows, all the good stuff that we normally have. We had a, a really interesting interview with Trayvon Boykin last week. It was interesting to find out where he is and what he's been doing with his life and, and hopefully that he's getting things turned around. Super pumped. I think we're going to be having a little special something at the game Saturday, maybe maybe a little uh, tailgate scene in the morning. So might be some really fun stuff. Come check it out. Kansas State fans, please feel free to, to stop by. We'll be really nice to you guys up until game time and then we'll see how we feel about you afterwards. All right, all right, yeah, we hope we hope you have fun, but but not too much fun. And uh, speaking of former Perfect. players, quick shout out to uh, Dalton Schell in the Canadian Football League Rookie of the Year, former Kansas State nice. receiver. So. Excellent. Cool. <laughs> all right, thanks a lot, JT. Thanks, Melissa. Yep. So yeah.